what's going on, anesthesia nerds. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. I don't know where you guys are in the world, but for me in Philadelphia, it is actually 68 degrees and sunny today. So we are all rejoicing in the fact that we can wear short sleeves and be outside. And I've never seen so many people outside in the city of Philadelphia as I did yesterday. I think we are all just so finished with being indoors, cold weather, just the whole like whole COVID thing. I know everybody's done with it. Um, but again, please stay safe and keep your mask on while you're outside and socially distance as much as possible. Please, please, please still stay safe while you're outside enjoying the sunshine. All right. Now to get into today's episode, I am so, so excited to have our next guest. Um, she is coming to us from across the pond. Yes, I know what you're thinking. Tasha, another guest from the UK. Oh my gosh. But I just love the UK accent. Like I cannot get enough of the British accent. So I'm just going to keep having more and more UK vets on the program because um, it's my program and I get to do what I want. So there. Uh, all right. So let's get into it. Uh, Dr. Katie Ford. Uh, she's currently working as a relief vet around Manchester in the United Kingdom. She is a veterinary surgeon. She also has a certificate in internal medicine. She is a lecturer. She is an educator on things like imposter syndrome. So things that we really need to be, you know, checking in with ourselves about and um, looking at, you know, today's episode is not going to be more of the harder skills of like math and science. We're actually going to be talking about some of the soft skills that we need in veterinary medicine. Like, how can we make this job work for us and fulfill us? And how can we feel grateful for all the experiences that we are, are receiving in this field? And how can we quiet down some of those imposter syndrome thoughts that we are feeling as we go through our day to day? So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Katie Ford to the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. I shall put on my most perfect British accent for you during this to satisfy your, your British accent needs, Tasha. Yes, I love it so much. I'm like internally like, oh gosh, uh, I'm trying to think of like which Downton Abbey character you're giving me vibes of right now. And maybe it's Anna. Maybe it's Anna. I don't know. Listeners, you let me know. Because uh, I'm thinking maybe Cousin Rose, though, too. She was a little bit of a firecracker, that one. All right. So this uh, obviously Down Abbey has nothing to do with veterinary medicine at all whatsoever. Um, but Dr. Ford, um, kind of tell us what you are doing right now at the moment, because I think, again, um, for veterinary medicine, a lot of the times on this podcast, we are talking about really hard things, you know, like what's the MAC of isofluorine and what does ketamine do to the NMDA receptor? Um, but for you, you're educating, you're lecturing, and you're talking about some of the other things that we need to know in veterinary medicine. So give us a little glimpse of what you're doing right now. Absolutely. So this was definitely not ever in my plans for being a veterinary surgeon to branch into talking about these topics. But from my own experiences as a vet, particularly in my first few years of qualifying and despite having things like that internal medicine certificate, I really felt like a, an imposter or a fraud or not deserving. And at that point, I felt very isolated in those thoughts. I honestly never knew that imposterism or imposter thoughts were a thing. I believed everything that I thought. I thought it was true. I thought I was the only one and nobody was talking about it. 
So as I started to find things that really helped me and transformed things for me, I just was openly sharing my story and saying, you know what? I used to think this was going to happen. I used to beat myself up about all these things. I used to worry. I used to think I had to know everything. I used to think that I had to do everything solo. And as I put those out on social media, more and more people were coming to me, conversations I was having in practice. People were saying, nobody's this open. Thank you so much. It's given me permission to realize that it's normal sometimes to have these thoughts, that we don't have to know everything. And that ended up very organically growing to me, not only training to be a coach in the methods that really helped me, doing further study in things like cognitive behavior therapy. And now I work with vets, nurses, vet professionals, one-to-one as a coach, if they're moving through something and having some impostery thoughts with it. I also speak to a variety of companies, both vet and non-vet. I content create, I create online courses. And it was just really built from that really terrible time that I, I won't go into my, my whole story now, but I was at a very dark place with imposterism and had gone really past feeling like a fraud to things like anxiety and depression. And that's one of the risks of it. We also know that imposter syndrome is one of the, um, the contributors to burnout from some of the papers that are out there too. So it just became a topic that I was hugely passionate about. And as people started to know that, I got more and more invites. And that's where I sit now. So I do do bits of locum work and relief work around that. But essentially, I just like to open the conversations and say, hey, look, this is a thing. It's not a fault. We've all had it at some point. And here are some pointers to navigate through it a little bit more easily. So for those listeners who just might not know what we're talking about as far as imposter syndrome goes, if they're like just in the beginning or potentially if someone's listening into this podcast who might not work in veterinary medicine, um, although I'm not really sure how you found Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast, if you don't work in veterinary medicine, um, thanks for listening, I guess. But <laughs> if you're not in veterinary medicine, um, so for anybody who doesn't know, can you just explain a little bit of what we mean when we say imposter syndrome? Absolutely. So imposter syndrome essentially is defined as the the inability to accept that any of your achievements were legitimately earned as a result of either your skills or your capabilities. And in short, really, you feel like somebody's going to come along and figure out that you don't actually know what you're doing. So you'll get all of these accolades and things that happen. And that little imposter voice jumps in and says, yeah, but you just got lucky on that one. Or you didn't really earn it because the questions were just right on the day. Or somebody else is doing better, though. And actually, for you to really be a success at this, you need to do what they're doing. So nice try, honey, but carry on. And I'm sure that will sound familiar to you, Tasha, and to a lot of people out there, because we've all listened to that narrative. And the irony is that often it comes at the points where we're growing and we're pushing against old beliefs. And that really rattles the cage of that little imposter voice. And so many of us believe it and think, oh my goodness, it must be true. That then our brains almost try and make it true by saying, here's some evidence, here's more evidence, here's more evidence. And it's just stepping back and saying, okay, I hear you, but I don't actually have to believe you. And what could I do? What could I flip my attention to, to make this a little better? And it was first noted in the seventies, but we know that it more than likely was around for a long, long while before then. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm, I am sure that every single person listening to this podcast, um, if they work in veterinary medicine, you know, even if they don't work in veterinary medicine, I mean, just regular things, right? Like just being a mother, 
you know, you're questioning all your decisions. And sometimes you're like, I'm not a good mother. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I obviously shouldn't be doing this. Somebody else is doing better than me because look at their Instagram. They like seem to have it all together. And I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think every, uh, you know, all kinds of aspects, there's definitely a an imposter syndrome going on in our heads and our like, you know, psyche some ways is trying to sabotage us and we're just going to have to fight against that. And I do think that in veterinary medicine, it, it does seem very prevalent. I mean, everyone I know in veterinary medicine and probably all the listeners and p- people, you know, I mean, people who are getting into veterinary school, right. We're all overachievers. We, we want to have the answers to everything. We want to be able to do all of the things all of the time. And that's why we, completely like burn ourselves out, but at the same time question whether or not we should even be there in the first place. So mm, yeah. it's a strange emotional roller coaster veterinary medicine is, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's and a wild the, ride. The real irony is that imposter syndrome is the realm of the high achiever a lot of the time. And there is no doubt that all of us will more than likely always be doing enough. Even though we've got that little voice that pops up, are you doing enough? Are you achieving enough? We've done a whole heap of stuff already and you're completely spot on. It's not just a veterinary thing. It's documented in in all professions and quite quite rightly, like you say as well, in regular everyday life as well, whether that's in being a parent or whether that's like in hobbies when I used to do a lot of dog training like agility and fly ball and so on through my teens and did very well at it. Yet still it would pipe up and say, oh, well, you've just got a well-bred dog He's just naturally very clever and would never make me look at all the hours of training and fun that we had into it and how actually maybe some of that was down to me. So, yes, it's a a vet issue, but it's an experience that so many people have across all professions. It's it's a human thing. Yeah, certainly. One hundred percent. I want to touch on something real quick that you've done in your career. Um, It's called the To an Amazing Vet series. Um, So for some of our listeners who might not know about that series, can you give us a little information on that? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you've brought this up because this is a project I've absolutely loved being a part of. On my Instagram account, I've got quite a number of followers and I'm constantly putting out messages saying, you're not a fraud. You're actually really valuable. Take your attention to that. Yes, we want to listen sometimes to that negative voice that tells us all the reasons we're not enough. But here's a little reminder that you are. Here's a reminder that to compare really is to despair. You're unique. You can't compare unique. Look after yourself. You are more than your job title. It's an amazing part of you, but it's just a part of you. More and more people were sharing my content and I was getting really nice messages saying like, I sent this to my friend and she really needed it and it just hit her at the right time. And I ended up just randomly going and getting some images that I thought would be really nice for Instagram posts, just to go alongside my messages. They were little hand-drawn cats. And I thought, oh, these are really cool. Started writing each post and eventually thought, you know what, there's so many of these. These should go into a little book. Just a nice gift to give to somebody that is a reminder saying, and it starts with every now and again, we all need a reminder how amazing we are. And then it just goes through saying, sometimes we'll have the Sunday scaries. What if something's gone wrong? What if I miss something? Flip that to even if, even if you miss something, even if something went wrong, look at valuing yourself. 
And it's been a phenomenal response to these books. There's a, a vet version, a vet nurse, a vet student and a vet receptionist. And they've all got their own little tweak on things for, for situations that are more aligned with each role. But the same core messages are, you're really valuable. You don't have to listen to that, that inner critic. You didn't choose it. Sometimes it speaks. We don't have to believe it. Look after yourself. You've got loads of strengths that sometimes our attention is really drawn away from. And align with those too. And there've been so many people buy those books. They're only 34 pages long. They're really short, but it's just like a nice coffee break read. If you need that boost or reminder to say, hey, you know what, you've got this and you are really valuable. And that's not based on whether your cases go well or don't go well. And in essence, it's all the advice that I wish that somebody had given to me when I graduated back in 2012. And I learned it through a very bumpy path. And I put it all into into this book. And yeah, they've sold across the globe. And I've been overwhelmed, honestly, by the response to them. And we do give a charitable donation from each book, goes to a, a UK vet helpline as well. So it's been nice to do that with them. But in short, that's the books. That's fantastic. And so for anybody interested, we're going to put a link to those books in our show notes. So um, you can be sure to check out those, I think that they're really cool. I mean, if you're looking for just a little something to, again, maybe put in your lounge or just a like nice little employee gift to give out to someone, um, it's just a nice little pick me up um, as far as, you know, the vet staff goes. And because they're all kind of, there are versions tailored to different vet staff and what different vet staff might experience. Uh, I think that that was a really cool, you know, way to do it as well. Thank you. So, I always want to include everyone because we're all a yeah. big team, aren't we? Oh, I mean, 100%. Listen, you know what? I definitely, when I was younger and a little more arrogant, I was like, well, I could do it all, right? I mean, like, what's the receptionist really doing? Okay, 100%. If you've dealt with like a really angry client and they have financial issues and the care credit people are on the phone and also the printer is out of toner and like, you, you, you know it, a solid receptionist, 100%. Veterinary receptionist, I bow down to you. You know what you're doing. I love you all. Thank you so much. Please don't make me talk to clients. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, sometimes in some of my locum shifts, I remember a few months back, all the team were having a team meeting just about ongoing things in the practice. And they said, hey, Katie, are you okay just to keep half an eye on the phones for us? And we've got a couple of students that are going to answer too. That was the longest hour of my life. <laughs> Honestly, hats off. We salute you, receptionist. You are amazing, like multitasking heroes, that's for sure. Yes, 100%. I definitely don't, I don't think I could step in at the receptionist desk right now at this point in my career. I'm, nope, nope. I leave it to the professionals. <laughs> All right. So on veterinary anesthesia nerves, what we like to do is usually we will give our guest a case to manage. And I think that instead of giving you um, a patient to manage, I think that what we would like to talk about in this episode of the podcast is really, um, you know, how to manage ourselves um, as veterinary professionals. And kind of the scenario that I'd like to give you is uh, a new veterinarian or a new veterinary technician or nurse that is just getting on the job and they are being put in charge of anesthesia. And I hear this a lot and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, you know, it, with internal medicine cases, emergency cases, surgery cases. Um, 
you have to part, you know, you have to do anesthesia with these cases. These animals are under anesthesia and that gives it a different level of scary, right? Surgery in itself is scary, but the anesthesia is scary as well. Um, And I think that for new people coming in, they're very scared of this, which I do not blame them. And then what I sometimes see happen is some people um, in, in the veterinary world, they actually become so scared of it, they will actively avoid surgery and anesthesia because it's so scary. Um, and so I think that what I'd like to do with you is, you know, what words of wisdom, pieces of advice, you know, you know, advice from the trenches of your career do you have for people who are just starting out in surgery and anesthesia and terrified of it as well? I think the first thing is we've got to acknowledge that some of these worries and some of these fears to pipe up are totally normal. And the people that you look up to and you aspire to be will have had the exact same worries and maybe even still have a couple of them pop up now too. So that's the first thing. Acknowledge that feeling like this, okay, this is probably because I'm being stretched, like I'm learning, I'm growing more. The second thing that I'd say is we we need to acknowledge here that Nobody has to know everything, but we can always go and find out. So yes, please do look at the knowledge that you've already got, but don't feel pressurized that you must know absolutely everything. Go and speak to somebody. And secondly, ask for help in these circumstances. And when we're moving forward and from from my own career as well, I'd say making things bite-sizing have to set yourself up for success too if the first ever anesthetic that you're ever put in front of you to do is a gdv and you're on your own and there's nobody to help you that's that's pretty tricky but still remember look at your other sources of help there are going to be people that you can ring and speak to there are going to be textbooks to lock in there are going to be other colleagues to speak to at that point but try and get involved in other things where you can just set yourself up for success. So whether it's a a shorter procedure or whether it's a procedure that you can shadow somebody in there or whether you can go and read up on a particular topic and go and look for those things that you think, oh my goodness, could this go wrong? And just ask yourself, is there anything that I can actually do about that before that, if that's a risk? Can I go and learn a little bit more about that? Can I ask someone for help? Or actually, do I deep down know this and I just need to be a bit more confident in what I know? So alongside that too would be getting really strong and identifying what your strengths are. Because quite often, if we're going into a new situation and that imposter voice is jumping in and telling us all the things that we don't know, very quickly, our brain is self-fulfilling then and we'll say, you don't know anything, hang on, here's a load of stuff that you don't know. And quickly we can feel like we know nothing. Oh my goodness, how have I even become a vet or a vet nurse? Like, I don't know anything. It's stepping back and saying, okay, what are my strong points? What am I good at? Maybe you need to speak to somebody else to get an external view of that. Zone into those and where you're using them. And then look at what areas do I need to strengthen a bit more? And how can I actually do that? And looking at this has been like a lifelong learning journey, essentially, because there's always going to be more to learn. If we knew everything the minute that we graduated, there'd be no progression. And the final thing that I'd say, and obviously there'll be lots of chat back and forth for us to add to this as well, Tasha, but if we think of it as we've got a comfort zone and then we've got a stretch zone and then we've got a panic zone. And if you're pulled too far out of your comfort zone into your panic zone, because it's such a jump from what you're used to doing to what you're being asked to do, 
that's when we really need to take some action and be like, right, stand up. If you don't feel comfortable doing something, stand up and have the conversation with somebody. I'll say, look, I'm really not comfortable doing this yet and get help with it. And then be given the confidence to move through. If you're just in that stretch zone in the middle where actually, you know, there's backup, but you think I'm cool to handle this because I reckon I'll be able to get through it solo, but I know who I need to speak to. I know where the extra information is. Identify those sources of help. If something happens with this patient, what are my next steps? Okay, maybe I'll I'll change the IV fluid rate. Maybe I'm going to reduce the inhalational agent. Maybe I'll give additional analgesia. Actually, I've done all of those things that were in my plan. And it's absolutely fine now for me to go and ask somebody to come and help because I've reached the end of, of what I know and I've gone from stretch to panic. So just keep those things in mind. Remember, take the pressure off. Know that some of these worries are normal, but we don't have to believe every one of them. But absolutely asking for help and speaking up. I cannot emphasize those enough. Like It is okay not to know something, but then go and find it out or ask for help with it. It doesn't mean that you don't you're not a good vet or a good nurse and don't know what you're doing. It's just saying, okay, I'm going out of that stretch zone into the panic zone a bit now. And I need a little bit of support so that we can keep going, moving forward. And I don't just go into panic zone and never visit this ever again. That makes sense. If I can, let me dive into this a little bit deeper because I know that I have personally been in this situation. I know many veterinary nurses, technicians, even newer doctors have been in this situation. I feel like in veterinary medicine, and I'm not talking about with clients, I'm actually talking about the interpersonal communication and dynamics between team members. And especially if you're new on the team, there is a little bit in our, in our kind of culture in veterinary medicine that you have to have all the answers and you cannot, it's like almost frowned upon if you say, I don't know. And, and how do you think, you know, if I, say to somebody, I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't have experience doing that. Or I don't know the answer to that. How do we, as a team, how do we support somebody who doesn't feel comfortable or know the answers and not set up this kind of culture of shaming somebody when they don't know the answers or that kind of thing? Does that make sense? I feel like sometimes we we kind of are our own worst enemy in veterinary medicine where I've definitely seen teams kind of like be bullies to people who are new and don't have all the answers. Yeah. And that's something that definitely needs to change. And I think the way that will happen will be a big cultural shift with some of the people that are higher up and the leaders making it okay not to know something. Because one of the biggest things that came out of a a study with American medical students actually with imposter syndrome was their biggest conclusion was there is a need to get rid of shame-based learning methods. Because like you quite rightly say, we all end up so terrified of ever getting something wrong because partly we feel like it might unmask us as actually being that fraud because we feel like we should know everything because a lot of us are high achievers and we did always know everything. We went through school and we were the ones that knew everything. We were the natural geniuses that knew everything and we expect that to carry on. And sometimes that gets stewed into the culture as well. And I think there's a little bit of a subtle difference between I don't know versus I don't know, but I'm going to go and find out. Or I don't know, but would you be able to help me understand it a little bit more? So it's not just stopping with the, I don't know. It's saying, please help me. If you've got the knowledge, help me with it. And the people that hire up also saying, you know what? I don't know either, but I'm going to go and find out. And then I'm going to come and report back. And that fosters a, everybody's growing. Everybody's finding out more. And 
it's hard when you've got an environment where that has become the case because we've got like an emotional contagion sometimes we've got a contagion between attitudes and it ends up adding into a culture but I think it just takes a few people to start saying you know what I don't know but I'm going to go and find out so I improve the way that I work for my patients rather than a, it's always been done this way I'm going to pretend that I knew and then probably go home and look it up anyway but just you could have phrased that differently to give everybody else permission not to sometimes know things too. 100% I, I do think that um, for me now being in this career for 17 years and having all the letters after my name and, and like you, I think that um, once we get to a point where we are the edu- now, you know, now I am in a position where I'm the, the older person, I, you know, the more experienced person, I like to say in my clinic, and I am, you know, kind of the leader and the educator. And I really have tried to learn from what I don't want to put forth. Um, and I remember oh, a long time ago, I was at a clinic um, that this like, you know, very intimidating clinic specialty and referral center, you know, and there were a couple technicians that, you know, if you said, I don't know, the you know, the response was, I can't believe you've never had experience with this before. Or I think it was like, I, I hadn't done a blood transfusion, or I hadn't done a certain type of blood transfusion or cross matching, I think it was. And, you know, the response I got was, you've never done this cross-matching before? What? Like, what's wrong with you? And I think that when we, you know, when when you're confronted, you know, when you say, I don't know something, and then you're given that back, it shuts you down. And you're like, oh, I'm never going to admit that I don't know anything again. When in reality, I mean, I've been in this for 17 years. Shit, there's still so much that I don't know. I don't, I mean, I would love to know all the things, but there's just not enough time in the day. Absolutely. And that's where the shift needs to come. And I also think it's creating like a psychologically safe environment that people can say they don't know. And you know what? Also, that empowers the other members of the team to speak up if they do know something or they see something that's not going well, that they feel safe enough to say, hey, do you think we should do it this way? Because I don't know if you guys have dived much into the work of like human factors and Martin Bromley before. I don't know if you've come across him. No. So, He's a really interesting guy, actually. He was the keynote at the vet-led conference in the UK recently. And he was a, an airline pilot. And his wife went in for a routine surgery uh, just on her sinuses. And she unfortunately passed away. And he said, look, in aviation, we do a lot of human factors work. We find out where this happened and how this happened. I don't want anybody to have my wife's death laid on their shoulders. But I really want to try and find out what happened like, where did this happen? And it turns out they were trying to intubate her. Two very experienced anaesthetists and surgeons were trying for a long time to, uh, to intubate her. And they couldn't get the tube in. They tried giving her more propofol to relax her. They still couldn't get the tube in. And time was ticking on. Now, two nurses appeared with a, a track kit saying, do you want a tracheostomy for her? And they were both ignored because they were situationally aware of what was going on but the two that were trying to intubate were panicking and not really taking anything in. Now, those nurses didn't feel safe enough to be able to say, hey, look, hey, experienced anesthesia guys, we know this is right. Please take the track here. And it ended up that they abandoned the surgery, they let her go and wake up and she never woke up. And two people in the room could see just what needed to happen, but there wasn't the psychological safety there for them to be able to say, 
hang on, no, we're going to say this a third time now, tap them on the shoulder and say, look, this is what needs to happen. And that changed a lot in the National Health Service in the UK about like safety to speak up. And I think being okay with not knowing something at all levels then makes it acceptable for other people to come in and help each other and help build each other up. Because if we all focused on our own strengths and also made it okay to go and ask the questions when we don't know things, imagine what permission that will give us all to grow when we take that actual pressure off ourselves and put that energy into, cool, let's go and learn some more. Let's teach each other. Let's say, you know what? I'm not sure, but I'm going to go and find out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't count how many times on the anesthesia nerds we get posts saying either I want to do this anonymously because I don't feel safe asking this question at work or I get a private message from somebody saying, hey, I want to be able to, you know, implement this new protocol or talk about this new drug, but I can't bring it up at work or I get shut down. I mean, wow, think about what a, a, a just sea change we would have in veterinary medicine if we had the if we felt safe enough to speak up even if I am wrong about something, you know, then educate me. But like just having the safety, I think, to have that back and forth between, because sometimes it's the nurses saying, you know what, I'm not as smart as a doctor. I don't feel right speaking up in front of a doctor and they're just going to shut me down anyway. But yeah, if we just approach things from a team perspective and, you know, talking everything through, I think not only would it be a better experience for us personally at work, but overall, it's going to create a better experience for our patients. Definitely. And if everybody that was listening to this podcast now thought, you know, what, I'm going to take something from this. And next time I don't know something, I'm going to say to people, you know what, I'm actually going to go and double check that I'm going to read up a bit more on that, because I'd like to increase my knowledge on that. And you don't even have to say, Oh, I have no idea whatsoever. Just say, you know what, I'm feeling a bit rusty on this topic. So I'm I'm going to go and double check this. Or do you have any more suggestions on top of what I know here? Let's build off each other's knowledge and move forward because, you know, we'll, we'll all go further if we go together. I love that. That's a great quote. We're going to, we're going to use that somehow. <laughs> I love it. Um, definitely. I mean, here at Anesthesia Nerds, we are always all about the team approach, you know, um, definitely we, you know, the surgeons, have great education. I want to know what the surgeons have to say. The anesthesiologists have great education. You know, I want to bring everybody together kind of from the receptionist to, you know, even the per- the people who do the kennel and the recovery, right? Sometimes the kennel staff, they're going to notice if a dog has a limp because they're the ones with them all the time. They're going to notice yeah. if the dog has stopped eating because they're the ones that are taking care of them and with them all the time. So I think every member of the team is valuable. And even if you don't have a ton of letters after your name, like, you know, being able to have an environment where you can all speak and, you know, give input on the case really, you know, again, makes it a better environment for not only us, but our patients as well. Absolutely. And that's something that I very much foster in the relief work that I do too, and the clinics that I go into, because you can't be as veterinarians we can't be with our cases 24 7 sometimes we're in the office we're making phone calls we're writing notes i want my nursing team to feel safe enough to be able to come and say katie i think this dog's gums are pale and i'm worried about the mucous membrane color can you come and check and i don't care if i go there and say they're fine i'm happy with that but thanks for flagging it to me i don't want them to be too scared to come and tell me because there'll be a one time where they're absolutely spot on and they won't dare come and ask And it's creating that safe environment where even if 
it might be something that comes to nothing in the end that they'll come and they'll say something and then you empower them to use their voices because we should all feel that way. Man, I, there's just so much in this episode. I feel like this is um, honestly like, you know, I, I can get down on some drug information and I love me some pharmacology, but I think that this is one of the, the more, you know, powerful episodes that we have done because I think that it just translates through every type of veterinary medicine, whether you're in a high paced, you know, specialty surgical center, or you're at a, you know, small mom and pop clinic in, you know, a more rural area, I think, you know, just the the team approach and being able to talk to your teammates and, and realize that everybody is kind of in the same boat. Um, as far as, you know, we all at some point, have no idea what we're doing, and are completely scared and stressed, all of us. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? I coach and work with vets that have got diplomas, multiple diplomas, they're specialists in topics. So feeling not like a fraud doesn't come with extra letters. It's like, you know, I'll get to this point and then I'll never have these feelings. And equally, having imposter syndrome isn't a label or a condition that we own. It's it's an experience in response to stimuli. And there's a difference between imposter syndrome and self-doubt, but helping with both is quite similar. And honestly, if I could tell people one thing, it would just be know that you don't have to know everything and enjoy going out and finding the information. Because like you were saying, if nobody ever admits to not knowing something, that culture then is terrified of not knowing something because then you do feel like a fraud. Oh my goodness, they found me out. I don't know. You feel like you have to do everything solo. You have to do everything perfectly. You have to know everything. You have to do everything to 100% all of the time. And that you can see how that contributes to burnout as well, can't you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that this is such valuable information for veterinary medicine. And I, I really do hope that in my career lifetime, we do see that culture shift. We do see that sea change where, you know, everybody starts to be a little more empathetic with each other, you know, not only with us and the clients, but also us and our fellow team members. That There isn't this pressure to, be all of the things and know all of the things and you know it's a lot and be kind to themselves as well because you know what it's okay to go and ask for some help it's okay to go and double check something how much further would we get if we were adding some kind of thoughts in and a kind of narrative and not having to believe everything that we think when that inner critic when that imposter voice comes along and says all these things see it appearing for a different reason okay Maybe I'm just pushing some comfort zones here. What can I do to make this more comfortable? Who can help me? What can I go and find out? Actually, maybe I just do need to spend some time looking at my strengths and the things that I've done already. Or like you were saying with those people that are so terrified, they never want to go back near a surgery again. Can you break it down into a scale of one to 10 and you can work down each step? So Step one would be you go and shadow someone doing the whole thing. Step two might be they leave you alone for one minute during the procedure. Step three might be that you spend five minutes doing it. And then you might get to like step eight or nine might be that you do half of the procedure or three quarters of it, or you do the plan and that you know that somebody's in the next room. And then step 10 is that you're doing it completely on your own and just make things into small doable steps and celebrate them at each step. Be kind to yourself and say, you know what? that little imposter gremlin, that negative voice, the inner critic said, you couldn't do it. I've done it. I actually did do it. And be kind to yourself. I can't say more than that, really. Be, 
let's start with being empathetic to ourselves as well as to our patients and to our, our colleagues and our clients. Yeah, 100%. Well, man, thank you so much, Dr. Ford, for joining us on this podcast. Like I said before, we are going to put links to um, your website in our show notes. So people want to get more information um, to look up what you're doing, they can do that. Um, Are you speaking soon at any conferences? I've got quite a few webinars that I'm doing for individual vet companies in the, the United Kingdom. I'm also speaking at, uh, in the UK, there's VTX Virtual that will be happening in June. So yeah, there's quite a lot coming up these next few months. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, hopefully you're staying busy amid uh, the lockdown, that kind of thing. Definitely. I don't think I've ever been busier. I think as people are realizing (laughs) how useful this content actually is and how much we do need to focus on these things as we move forward. There's so many amazing opportunities that are coming up, but that will never stop me showing up on Instagram constantly and Facebook constantly and just reminding vets, vet nurses, receptionists that we're all humans. We're all valuable. We don't have to believe everything that we think and we don't have to know everything. And that doesn't mean you don't have to know anything. That means you don't have to know everything and you can keep building on that all the time. And that's fine. You know, go out, find the help, say, I'm not very good at this and that's okay. I'm going to find out how to be better at it. And being better at that doesn't make me any more or less valuable. Your valuable is inherent. Your value is inherent. It's not dependent on all these external things. And that was probably one of my biggest downfalls as a a veterinarian for a, a long time as a recent graduate was I was allowed to feel good about myself if cases were going well. I wasn't allowed to feel good about myself if something didn't go to plan. Then I had to feel bad about myself. And it was an emotional roller coaster where life went constantly up and down. And instead, knowing that you're inherently valuable is just an anchor point that nobody can take away from you. And you move forward better then because you're kinder to yourself and you accept that, you know what, it's okay not to know this. I'm going to go and find out how to do it. And I'm going to speak to the people that are going to help me. And then we'll go further together. I love it. I love everything you're saying. And hopefully I can get as many people as possible to listen to this podcast. And we all will get, you know, we'll all kind of feel this same thing. So thank you so much for, you know, sharing this time with us and all of the good information that you're putting out on social media. I'm going to, you know, again, tell everybody and encourage everybody to follow you on Instagram and check out your webpage. Um, and hopefully we'll have you back on the anesthesia nerds podcast again, talking about more, awesome. <laughs> more ways that we can make things better. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. And you can keep thinking on which Downton Abbey character I was as you mull over the episode afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll have to see from the, from the, like the listeners, if there's any Downton fans out there, which, which one we're, we're landing on. We'll see. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Ford. Thank you.